0: So a couple weeks ago, I preached on Luke 18, and I talked about the parable that Jesus told with the Pharisee, the religious leader, and the tax collector. Some of you might remember that. The name of that message was Pride and Humility, Pride and Humility, because really that's what the parable is about. It's about this uh, religious leader that comes into the temple and starts thanking God for how religious and righteous and upright He is, and ultimately wanting to be justified and exalted by the Lord. And then you have this miserable, scum-of-the-earth tax collector that all the religious leaders hate, and he hates all the religious leaders. So you have this great divide and expanse between two people that come into the church to pray. One's beating his chest, crying out for mercy, and staying far away from the altar and the religious leader because he feels so unworthy. And then you have the religious leader that's basically full of pride, exalting himself, and thanking God that he's not like the other guy. And I talked a lot about that, and I broke that scripture down in depth. And the reason why I taught you that and why I'm going to teach you what I'm teaching you today is for this reason. Rock City Church is called to reach the most hurting, broken, darkest places of our city, We're called to reach those that could be living on the island and have a lot of money, but living in darkness, addiction, deception, and depression. Those from the south side to the west side, from the island to Sinton. Those that are living in all different types of walks of life, socioeconomic status, those that have money and those that don't have money. The black, the white, the Asian, the Mexican, the Hispanic, any race, any color, any whatever it is that's in their life, we're called to reach them. But very hurting and broken people are going to be coming to this church. Many of you were once those people. And as you get healthy and as you get strong, if you don't have a right understanding of how to treat other people and a right understanding of what you're becoming, you'll find yourself living with pride and looking down on other people so subtly you won't realize it, but God hates it. And that's why I taught that. I also taught it because I want you to be able to come in here, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter how much you failed, no matter where you were last night, no matter what you've been doing or haven't been doing, and be able to worship the Lord and cry out for mercy and never feel like somebody's going to look down on you or have disdain for you or feel like you can't approach the altar or get around me or around a leader. Because that's what shame does. Shame separates you. Shame isolates you. And it makes you to feel like you're not worthy and you're not good enough. And on the flip side, as you get stronger and you get healthy, you can get this superiority complex where you feel like you're the super spiritual self-righteous one and they're not. And that's never how Jesus was, ever. And if we're going to really become who we're called to become, not just as a church but individually, then we have to be able to love people and reach people right where they're at, no matter what God's done or changed in your life. And to really help you understand this, I'm gonna read a scripture to you from Galatians chapter six. We're gonna read the first five verses from the Passion Translation, and then we're gonna bounce off of there, all right? You guys ready? Galatians chapter six, verse one, from the Passion Translation. My beloved friends, if you see a believer who's overtaken with a fault, May the one who overflows with the Spirit seek to restore him. Win him over with gentle words which will open his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over him. Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's troubles. If you think you're too important to stoop down and help another, you're living in deception. Let everyone be devoted to fulfill the work God has given them to do with excellence. And their joy will be in doing what's right and being themselves, not in being affirmed by others. Every believer is ultimately responsible for his or her own conscience. <laughs> Woo! That is a powerful block of scriptures that I'm going to break down for you this morning. First, let's go back to, the, to verse 1. People are constantly being overtaken. Faults, failures, shortcomings, inadequacies, sin, lack of self-confidence, shame, self-esteem issues. All kinds of things can overtake us. We all have to battle them. We all have to renew our minds daily. We all have to to pay the same price to get what God has for each and every one of us. Nobody gets to bypass the process. No one does. I have to pay the price as much as you do. The enemy always wants to overtake me, and he always wants to overtake you. And he does all he can to keep you bound up in your faults and in your shame and your inadequacies. And the last thing that should happen is that when you carry it into the church house, that somebody only magnifies it and beats you up and makes you feel less than instead of restoring you in a spirit of gentleness and pulling you up and out of it. Right? That's why we've got to build a culture of love, unity, and humility. We have to. And so we live our lives with this mindset that there's two groups of people. There are those that are not spiritual and those that are spiritual. But to take the title of spiritual, you have to be extremely careful. And you have to always make sure what makes you spiritual is not your own self-righteousness and how good you've been but rather the Holy Spirit inside of your life leading, guiding, and directing you. So I'm going to say this. I've said it many times. say it again. Here's what I believe the highest form of Christian maturity is. It's not whether you sinned or not. It's not whether you were good or bad. The highest form of Christian maturity isn't how much you read your Bible and worshiped and prayed. The highest form of Christian maturity is that you're led by the Holy Spirit at all times. Because rooted inside the nature and character of the Holy Spirit is love, patience, kindness, temperance, meekness, gentleness, faith. All those are rooted inside of the fruit of the Spirit. And you have to remember, gifts are given, but fruit is grown. So you have to grow fruit in your life. It's not like I get this whole instant deposit of understanding. Do I get the fullness of Jesus when you get born again? Do you? Yes. So you have all of him now. But now you have to learn to cultivate and grow fruit with them over the course of time. And so when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, if you will submit and you will listen and you will follow and be led, you will become spiritual. The, the New King James Version, in actually that verse 1 says, let those or us who are spiritual. The word is pneumaticos. Pneuma is wind, breath, or spirit. Maticos is to be driven or led by the Holy Spirit. It's wind-driven in every area of your life. When you're wind-driven and spirit-led at all times, guess what? You will love people well. You'll love your spouse well. You'll love your coworkers well. You'll love yourself well because you're constantly hearing the truth instead of a lie. You know how you, the, the greatest defining factor of somebody that is spiritual is that they don't have envy, strife, and division in their life. It's one of the greatest ways to measure somebody's life, full of envy, strife, division, everything opposite of the fruit of the Spirit inside of their lives. But it's our job as we grow and get healthy and strong to do what? To restore them. You know, the, 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 the concept of restoring somebody in the, in the New Testament, actually throughout all scriptures, but in the New Testament, the Hebraic understanding of restoring somebody is this. I'm going to mend your nets, and I'm going to repair the factions and divisions in your life. What were the disciples doing when Jesus walked up to them on the Sea of Galilee? Mending their nets, right? So Jesus comes and really mends their nets spiritually. They were mending their nets in the natural, but they needed their spiritual nets mended. And so when Jesus comes into our lives, what's he do? He puts us back together Mending our nets is a couple of concepts. It's I get unified with you. Let's mend nets. We were divided. Let's mend nets. But it's also everything that's caused you to not be successful and fruitful in your life gets restored. Now you don't bounce from job to job, lover to lover, drug to drug, thing to thing, church to church. Now we get into relationship and family, and your nets get mended. You get healthy. Get it? So our job is to get healthy. Now, if you're not healthy today, you're depressed, hurting, addicted, uh, struggling with lust, porn, alcohol, drugs, feeling far from God. The good news is there's a lot of spiritual people here. I'm not the only one. There's a family and an army of spiritual people that can grab you by the hand and pull you up and out. You see, we have to move away from the concepts of a handout ministry. It has to be a hand up, which means you got to be willing to take the hand up. you got to lay down your own pride. you got to lay down your own fears. I get it. Some of you have got church hurts. Some of us are afraid to let people know what's really going on in our lives. And you got to step into the light. you got to let shame be broken off of you. This is a shame-breaking house. I see people every Sunday, every Sunday, Come up, say hi to me. And I already know just by looking at them, they had a rough night. They were out way late and in all the wrong places doing what they shouldn't have been doing. People are full of shame, struggling. They come to me all the time. You know how I look at them? Not with, what's the matter with you? You should have known better. Why are you doing You put yourself in this spot. No. Notice what the scripture says. Go back to verse 1. It says, we are, who are spiritual are to restore them. Go to the next verse. How? With gentle words. We're to restore them with kindness, meekness, because that's the way Jesus is. We're to be like Jesus. You've got to catch what I'm teaching you today. Because the church is full of spiritual pride and arrogance, and it's a disdain, and it's causing more people to run to atheism and leave the church than anything else. It's people in the name of God pretending with hypocrisy to be something that they're not and snubbing their nose and looking down at somebody else instead of being like Jesus and getting your hands and knees and feet dirty and getting down on the ground and washing other people's feet and hooking your yoke up to them. So we're called to restore people, and we're called to be spiritual. You know another great word for spiritual, other than wind-driven and spirit-led? It's this word regenerate. Different than degenerate. Okay, you know what regenerate means? To be regenerate or regenerated means that I'm not the man I once was now. It means I'm not carnally minded anymore. That's a great word for spiritual. It's the opposite of carnal. You should know what carnal is. Carnal is where we get the word flesh, and it's where we get the word like meat eater, carnivore, carnival. It's everything opposite of spiritual. It's enmity or hatred towards God. So to be spiritual means that I'm not living for myself, my own pleasures, my own desires. It means I'm not living in self-righteousness, but I'm following the Holy Spirit, and I recognize I'm nothing without him, but with him I'm everything. It means that now I'm not living in carnal hypocrisy so that when you need a hand up, I can say I was once there, you can come out. Part of the reason why we have such a large recovery community and more that are come. Opioid addictions and drug addictions and alcoholism and people numbed out and checked out from human trafficking to drug dealers and to the pimps. They're everywhere around, but that's not all this church is reaching because there's a lot of people that don't have that same testimony that I do. Like my wife, she has never done one drug ever, never, ever even took a toke off a joint. (laughs) I tell my stories and she looks at me like I have zero, I have no concept of what you're saying. But she reaches a very unique group of people as well, just like each of you do. The main thing here is that you don't fall into the comparison trap. And that's what we're going to really talk about today. We're going to really hit the comparison trap. Because actually, we're going to flop back and forth. I really love this version, but I love the New King James. Jump over to verse 1 in the New King James. Well, you can't do that in your Bible, but we can do it on the screen. If a man's overtaken with a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore one with the spirit of gentleness. Watch this next part. Uh, lest, or consider yourself lest you also be tempted. I'm going to teach you something so fantastic today. I always used to read this scripture different than its original intent. Here's how I would read this scripture. Now, there's some truth to what I'm about to say to you because the question is always, who's influencing who? See, after I got born again, I went right back to Miami. After I got out of jail, I went back to Miami, and the only friends I had were my old Grateful Dead party friends. And they were really great friends in the sense of they loved me. They weren't friends, spiritual friends, but they cared a lot about me. And I had walked through life with them. So when I got born again, I had this mentality that I was going to go back and save them. I was like Moses. I'm going to go let my people go. But but I didn't read the part that Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years before he went back. Right? And so I thought right away I was going to go right back. So I go hang out with these guys and they're smoking, toking, snorting. They're doing all the drugs that they do and I'm hanging out with them and I'm not, I have a conviction and they're like, it's okay, brother, it's okay. We all have forgiveness. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. And I was born again, spirit filled. Who was influencing Who? But you see, that's not actually what the Scripture is referring to, though there's some truth to that. If you're going to restore somebody, take heed to yourself so that you don't find yourself in that temptation. Is how I always read that. Is there truth to that? That's not what the Scripture is referring to. You know what the Scripture is referring to? Spiritual pride. That when I'm coming to restore you, I need to take heed to myself and examine myself. So that I don't look down on you, and so that I'm not tempted to think myself better than something I am. You know how I know that? Look at the next verse. We're called to bear one. Ver- next verse. I titled this message "Somethings and Nothings." If anybody thinks there's something when they're nothing you're deceived. The the passion says if you are if you think of yourself too good and too big and too better that you can't stoop down and help somebody else, you're deceived. And spiritual pride is the temptation. How do I know that? Luke 18. Two people go to the temple to pray. What should the ta- the Pharisee should have what should the Pharisee have been doing? How can I restore love serve And help this person. Instead he was praying thank God I'm not like him. It's so subtle and it's such a disdain. I'm giving language to you. For the issues and the problems in the modern western Americanized church. It's spiritual pride and the temptation to think. That I'm better than you and I look down on you. Instead of serving you and coming underneath you. To bear you up and to lift you out. Because it started out with, we who are spiritual should bear the burdens of those that are not, right? Because there's two dynamics. The one dynamic is the inferiority complex. How many of you know what an inferiority complex is? Well, just in case you don't, I'm going to read it to you. An inferiority complex consists of feelings of not measuring up to standards, Is there anybody here that's constantly living in a world of I'm not measuring up? It's a doubt and uncertainty about yourself. It's a lack of self-esteem. And it's often subconscious. And is thought to drive afflicted individuals to overcompensate. Resulting either in spectacular achievement or extremely asocial behavior. Now that was me. I know some of you might say, how could I have ever had an inferior complex? I had one my whole life. And I actually have had to really crucify that thing to be where I'm at today. Here's how I had it. My blood father left me when I was one. My mom was a single mom who worked two jobs and left me at the babysitter all day. I was abandoned, neglected, and robbed in my childhood with no dad. And so in turn, I would overcompensate. How? By being driven to succeed. You're going to know my name. I'm going to prove you wrong. You know, it's the thunder and lightning song all over again. You once didn't want to know me, but now you're in the nosebleed section worshiping me, basically. And it's this mindset that now that I was neglected and abandoned, I needed to perform. I needed to measure up, and I would overcompensate to please people. The man-pleasing spirit is brutal. It's self-esteem. It's instead of being yourself and who God called you to be and growing up and out of it, we stay stuck in it and we always look at everybody else as better than us. It produces major social anxiety, major social anxiety. But what's the opposite of inferiority complex? A superiority complex. And it's just as bad. In fact, it's worse. I hate the superiority complex, don't you? I have a real disdain for it, and so does God. If anybody thinks that there's something when they're nothing, they deceive themselves. I'm nothing without him. Let's say it together. I'm nothing without him. I can do nothing without him. It's this understanding that you can't let self-pride, self-righteousness, and over arrogance and confidence. God, does God want you to be confident? Sure he does. But confident in his ability in you and the ability that he's given me. And so what's happening here in this, this teaching is that God is showing you don't fall prey to two things. One, the fact that you don't need restoration and that, that nobody can help you. That's a lie. Or I only need Jesus and I don't need people. That's a lie, too, because it says we're spiritual should restore. You know, here's a great way for me to show you. I'm going to just jump forward to Matthew 11, 28, and 30. Here's a phenomenal way for me to explain this to you. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weak, weary, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why? Because he's lowly and meek, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Jesus is lowly, and he's meek. You know what that means? He takes the low road. Not pride and arrogance, but humility and service. He looks at people not with eyes of disdain, but eyes of love. So so do people need to go to Jesus to get rest? Go to the next verse. Do do people need to take Jesus' yoke upon them and learn from him? Is he gentle and low in heart? Yes. Look at the next verse. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. You know what that scripture means? It means that Jesus will meet you right where you're at. Because the deceptive lie is I'm so bad, I'm not good enough, I'm so jacked up, my marriage is jacked up, I haven't been reading my Bible, I've been doing this. I'm Whatever it is, whatever your issues are, whatever this stuff is, the mindset is I'm too bad, I'm too gone, I'm too far, or I've been doing too much that Jesus can't hook up to me. But the reality is the darker and the harder it is and the more jacked up you are, the greater ability you are in and in a spot to get hooked up to his yoke. Yes. So he's basically saying that I'm, I am strong, you're weak. Now hook up to my strength and I'll pull you out. That's the concept of the scripture. Now he says for you to do that to other people. He doesn't give you a pass. He says be like me. Because now the scripture in Galatians 6 you who are spiritual, hook up with an easy yoke and a light burden and gentleness and take, get low and pull them out. Spiritual pride and arrogance is a disdain to God. Self-righteousness and the Pharisee, the Pharisee was not justified, but the sinner who walked in begging and crying and beating his chest and weeping and confessing his sin was justified in God's presence. We can't allow ourselves to be driven by selfishness or consumed by our own worlds of hurt and pain. We all are in a desperate state of need, and we realize that what we really need is somebody more spiritual to bring restoration to my life. I am confident that I'm spiritual, but I also realize I'm nothing. And I didn't earn it or deserve it. And I'm not good enough to have gotten there. And the only thing making me spiritual is not my position, my title, or even how disciplined I am. It's the Holy Spirit and Jesus in me leading and guiding. And the fact that I'm listening, watching, and my ears are tuned towards him. And I'm staying in my lane to live with excellence. And I'm being myself. So hence, I don't have to worry about whether you like me or not. And you don't have to worry about if somebody else likes you. Because the newsflash is somebody's not going to like you. They're going to not like you. They're going to think you're And the more spiritual you get, mark my words, the more persecution is going to come against your life. That's how it works. And the persecution actually refines you because it kills you. It kills all that fear, that man-pleasing thing inside of you. Just get radical, get on fire, and be like Jesus and do what Jesus did no matter what your friends or your family or your colleagues or your coworkers say. You can do it. We don't live with a one-down mindset. Like, I'm the guy, I'm the man, and you're my, pe- you're my peasant servant, and I was once where you're at, but if, but if you do all these things, and yeah, I, I, I'll give you a hand out, but not a hand up, and I'll actually just write the check and maybe serve in the food kitchen, but I won't get in the trenches with you and get dirty. Now, I'm thankful for people that write checks and serve at soup soup kitchens, but God calls us to do more than that because some people will write the check or serve in the food line or even serve at church and hide behind their positions of service because they don't actually want to get dirty and get yoked up and get in the trenches with somebody else's issues. You know, I'm teaching this church this for a reason. Because we're building a culture and an army of a family. And a lot of people are going to be walking through those doors. You mark my words. And if we, it, things don't go wrong, they start wrong. So we're starting this right. I'll take a long, slow, steady growth like a mighty oak tree than an overnight explosion. And I'm an overnight explosion kind of guy. <laughs> really. That's why we're on this long, steady Consistent path of growth so that we're resilient, we're stalwarts, and nothing will shake us. Because if we don't get this thing I'm teaching you today, what will happen? We're going to fracture. You know how you know when somebody's spiritual? They're not carnal. You know how you know when somebody's spiritual? No envy, strife, or division. No, No, I'm the man. You're not. I have the title. You don't. Instead, how can I wash your feet? Now, I'm, I'm just one guy. Trust me, I have lived this and I still live it. I can't live it with all of you. So I have to have guys like Jeremy, Colton, women like Lauren, Morgan, all, the, all you ladies, all the men. We have to work together as a team so that I can do the handoff because I'm not good at everything. Neither are you. Does anybody hear me this morning? You guys all right? You got to you got to learn to do the handoff. We got hands, eyes, ears, mouths, feet, knees, elbows. So when somebody comes up to Amber and they've been strung out on drugs and they're desperate for prayer and she's the pastor's wife and they think just cuz she's the pastor's wife she has all the answers, so they come up to Amber after service and say I've been strung out for 4 days on meth. Will you pray for me?" she says, I don't mind praying for you, but let me point you to somebody that I know really understands and can help you with what you need. And you find what you're good at. You find what you're anointed at. And you partner up with those that can be strong where you're weak. It's called a body. And not one body part is, is even, even though it may seem like the least, you know what God says about the least body part? I don't know what the least body part is in a body. I would suspect it's a pinky toe. I don't know for sure if it's a pinky toe. I don't know. But you know what God says about the pinky toe? It's actually the most important. I'm like, no, my eyes are more important than my pinky toe. He goes, no, no, no. From a spiritual standpoint, every part is equal, and the weakest affects everything. When we love the broken and the outcast like Jesus loved, it opens the hearts of the hurting and puts an easy and light yoke upon them versus putting shame and condemnation on them, right? So notice in the Passion Translation, it said that if we'll love them with gentleness and restore them, what will it do? It'll open their heart to you. Now you have an in versus I'm here, you're here, and I'm looking down upon you. You guys get it? Okay. Okay. Let's talk for a moment about the law of Christ and fulfilling the law of Christ. If you go back to verse 2, it says, Love empowers us to fulfill the law of the anointed one as we carry each other's trouble or burdens. I love that. The law of Christ deals directly with how we love and treat others. And this love carries and bears the weights, weaknesses, and burdens of others. Now, if you have a disdain for people, the outcast, the drug addict, the broken, the hurting, the lowly, We had a guy walk up after service, last service, who's living in the Salvation Army. You can tell he's had a rough past. It was his first time here today, and he came up to me, and I could tell, like, okay, he's he's in a pretty rough spot. And I just preached this message. It was as if the minute I preached the message, God said, now here comes the test. Because the first thought was, man, this person is crazy. Man, what have they done? I, w- I didn't think that way, but you could go that direction. Yeah. And instead, I let him talk, and he, you know, he had something he wanted me to print and read and give to y'all, and he was like ready to conquer the world, and he was so flamed on and excited. And I, I just affirmed him, loved him in gentleness, and then I gave him a big hug, and I prayed for him. And my hope and my prayer is that he'll be able to find hope and strength and re- restoration here or somewhere with Jesus. And then while I'm talking to him, God says, this is the very ones that God's going to be bringing into your life. So prepare yourself instead of looking down on him. Yeah. And so the law of Christ is you, the world will know where Jesus' disciples, how? By our love. Love others as I have loved you. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor likewise. It, it has to be both. So we can't live isolated, nice, suburbia Christian lifestyles. It would be, I'm, I think I would be in the easiest position to do that. I have successful coffee shops that make money. I live on some land on the outskirts of town, and it actually has like a white farm fence in the front but I would die if it was unto ourselves and so would you. This is you get success and God blesses you and you start to move up. Never lose sight of where you came from. Never look down with disdain on anybody. And for those of you that have an inferiority complex, let's break out of the pity party and the victim mentality and cry out for help and not be afraid to get in relationship because God measures us in the context of our relationships. Meaning like, the good definition of how spiritual we are is how well we do relationships with other people. Because if I treat people like crap, if I'm angry, nasty, mean, rude, go look at my staff. Go look at the coffee shops. Inspect the fruit in the people that are leaders here in the church. Do they feel empowered and loved and strengthened or is there crazy weird strife and division and I'm surrounded by bodyguards and you can't talk to me or touch me? No, it's unity, love, strength, encouragement, restoration. Let's go back to verse 3, Galatians 6.3. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So I live in this constant mindset of not thinking that I'm something. If anybody thinks he stands, take heed lest he falls. you got to live a life of taking heed, especially men. I know women do too. I talked about this recently, but there's an onslaught against biblical manhood. The, the perverse sexual society that we live in, pornography, it is a full, and especially if you're single or you have strife in your marriage, the temptations, pornography, lust, the commercials, the TV shows, the movies. And I said, man, pastor, you're being so spiritual. I said, yeah, I want to be wind-driven. I don't want to watch something Christ died for. And I understand how much the enemy wants to trip you up and me up. And I got to stay aggressive and in the fight because marriages are ending up in divorce. People aren't loving right. Broken homes, broken children, fatherless families, people feeling like there's something when they're not. And it's like, you know what, I'm going to take the low road. And I want to say to you, please don't put that inferior or superiority complex on me or somebody else. You want to have people to look up to. But the challenge is is the inferiority complex puts you in a man-pleasing spirit and causes you to be pretentious and not be yourself. And I I want you to be yourself. And so with that, I'm going to close with verses 4. Let's go back to the Passion Translation. I want you to look at these last two verses because they are incredible. Let everyone be devoted to fulfill the work God has given them to do with excellence be diligent to do what God's called you to do and you're going to find joy when you do the right thing but most importantly when you be yourself you know what I want you to do I want you to be yourself I get it (laughs) but the last thing I want you to do is put on your best Christian front and wear your best face and pretend and try to be something that you're not you'll find joy in doing it. who wants to live their whole life as a Christian miserable anybody we have such warped perceptions about God, church, religion be yourself Jesus does what Jesus does best my mindset's not to fix you, it's to restore you. It's to bring you back to your original intent of what God designed you to be. And for you to learn to find affirmation, comfort, exhortation, encouragement from Jesus. You know why that's so important? I'll self-deprecate on myself. My wife is not an encourager very well. It's like last on her list. I'm over the top encourager if you can't tell. I exhort, I encourage. My wife, she's like, what's the matter with you? You're sick again? What did you do this time? No, I'm I'm not painting her in a bad light. She has had to grow and learn to be an encourager and speak my language, and I've had to learn to speak hers. She's not a high feeler. She's not oversensitive. She's structured, organized, list, planner, Get the job done, heavy thinker, judger. It's just her personality and God, how God's wired her. That's why God put us together. But I had to get over whether somebody texts me or puts something on Facebook of how great the message was or wasn't. I had to get over whether somebody affirmed me or not. You know how you get over it? I learned to do what's right and find my joy in being a son. And get my encouragement from him when I never get it from you. This is the hardest part for singles. Because you're longing for a spouse or somebody in your life to help you and comfort you. Let me just tell you, make Jesus your first love. Because your spouse will never give you all that you need. Only Jesus does. So I learned to find affirmation comfort and encouragement. Not, look at the scripture. I learned to be myself, not a man pleaser. And if you've been a man pleaser, you got to break that thing. If you've had a, a self-esteem issue, if you've had an inferiority complex, let's break that thing. You know, it comes from bad fathering, bad churches, bad experiences. Maybe you were bullied. Maybe you didn't have a dad did you wrong. A spouse cheated you. A girlfriend, a lover, a best friend did you wrong. Whatever it is, when you come to the place of restoration, you can learn to do what's right and you'll find joy in it. And then you'll be yourself. And then you won't find yourself worrying if I get the affirmation from somebody else. Should we affirm people? But should we live for the affirmation of others? So I want to ask you all to stand, and I want to ask the prayer partners and the ministry team to come up. Why don't you just close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. This is where the Lord begins to speak to you about what you just heard. Take a few minutes before we go today. One of the greatest revelations I ever got was when I realized I was robbed of my childhood. That I didn't have the affirmation and the love of the Father, the Heavenly Father, the moral guidance and direction that I needed. And then as a broken person, I exalted and put godly people or what I thought godly were godly on a pedestal then when they failed me it only fueled my hurt and pain from my dad if that's you I hear the Lord saying that's a lot of you here this morning I want you to come up and let somebody pray for you if you have been living in a victim mentality and just constantly feel like you're not good enough for measuring up that God's angry or you're living in this constant world of failure, we're here to restore you today. I want to invite you to come up. If this message spoke to you this morning, I want to invite you to come up and let somebody stand with you. Don't take it home. Don't take it home. I also want to want you to come up if you have been thinking yourself to be something when you're nothing. That's probably the hardest thing to admit is spiritual pride. If you've been full of pride, spiritual pride and arrogance and looking down on people instead of stooping down to help them, come on up and let somebody pray for you today. you got to repent of those things. you got to repent. Change the way you think. Change the way you act. Change the way you live by being like Jesus. And if you need somebody to hook up to you today and pull you up and out of the struggles, the hurts, the pains, the sickness, the mental anguish, I want to invite you to come and let somebody pray for you. You can also kneel down at the altar today.